What happens when two Latina Harvard grads put their minds together to make a difference in our community? A platform to help our Latino community navigate the U.S. financial system. That's right, so keep listening to find out more. Jen Hempel, your host. I'm so glad to have you here. And I'm wondering if any of these sound familiar to you. Have you found yourself translating financial documents or conversations at the bank for your familia that you yourself are having a hard time understanding? Or maybe you started all over when you came to the U.S. years ago, but still feel overwhelmed with the financial system and navigating it. Or maybe after years of living in the U.S., you find out you need to establish a credit history before you can get a mortgage for a house. So you've been doing all these things and all of a sudden you still have to build a credit history. I am sure that you connect or relate to one of those, at least one of those. I know that I do. Today, you're going to hear from Natalia Duarte and Carolina Weber, who are the founders of Dineri, a platform that helps us make sense of that dinero for our community and pay attention to what they said when I asked them if they had a magic wand to make things better for our community in terms of finances, what would they do? They're such great answers, you so you don't want to miss that. Let me tell you a little bit about our guest today. Natalia Duarte was born in Colombia and holds a BA from Harvard College and an MBA from Wharton. She currently manages strategy and operations for new verticals at DoorDash and is building Dineri alongside Carolina. Carolina Weber is a first-generation Mexican-American. She graduated also from Harvard College and most recently the Wharton School where she got her MBA. She was born in Mexico but was raised in California where her parents still reside. She is currently working in big tech as a product strategist and concurrently is building Dineri with her co-founder, Natalia. All right, now that you know a little bit of our guests, let's go meet them. Bienvenidas, Natalia and Carolina. I'm so thrilled to have you with me today. I know, Carolina, we've been connected, I think, since around the pandemic. And you have done so many amazing things and uh, partnered up with Natalia on this um, initiative of business that we're going to talk about. So I'm just so thrilled to have you both here. And Natalia, that eres colombiana, I'm excited for that too. So welcome both of you. Yes, thank you so much for having us. We're excited to be here. Yes, so I'm, I get to dive into two people's money story today. So Natalia, let's start with you and just take us back to uh, tell us a little bit about your upbringing and maybe some experiences, some lessons, some that you've had around money, something, that, some things that you saw that has really impacted you even to date as to how you manage money, how you see money. Sure. I'll start at the beginning. Um, as you said, I'm originally from Colombia, uh, but my family emigrated when I was I was very young, and we actually lived in Canada before coming to the states. And I think that, like so many immigrant children, I took on responsibilities as my parents were learning English, and I have just so much respect for immigrants like my parents because you know what they did, what they continue to do, isn't easy. 
and starting over from scratch, I think puts a whole new meaning on living within your means. So as a result uh, of that kind of that upbringing, I became really money conscious and interested in being as savvy as possible with our money. Years later, we moved to the US when I was in high school and it was like starting all over again. This time it was about learning the US credit system, seeing my parents apply for credit cards and get denied because they didn't have a credit history. And I realized that there's not a lot of resources out there for folks to just learn. And I saw that that was also the case for so many of my aunts and uncles and cousins who had been living here in the States for decades, which was also concerning because I saw the myths that people believed around you know, checking your credit score, around not trusting banks, around buying cars to be your main asset, and even, even keeping like your savings stashed away in your house, like hidden somewhere. It's so this, I think all became even more salient when I was living in DC years later, I volunteered doing tax prep uh, for low-income Spanish-speaking communities. And I think that this is when it all came together and I realized it wasn't just my family and it wasn't just like my extended family, but it was also so many clients that would come in every single week and they had been victims of predatory practices. They had been taken advantage of by their own friends and family even. And it all came back to the theme of not knowing who to trust and living in a system that is just so difficult to navigate that you don't really know where to start. So I think that to your point, it like continues, it continues today. Since I was a child, the, the money journey started and I continue to see it and, and live it and breathe it every day. Yeah. And tell us a little bit about your experience because you've, you've both been to some uh, pretty fantastic universities. I bow down to you. Uh, but this also for you, Natalia, led you to taking out some student loans. So t- tell us about, because you took out some student loans, so you've come out of school with student debt. Um, talk to us a little bit about that, what led to that. And uh, of course, I have an idea because what led to student loans is not having the money for, for school and plus schools. Oh my gosh. Let's, I'm not going to get started that because I'll go on a tangent on how expensive they are. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> um, education reform is a different topic. But uh, as I said, I, we moved to the States when I was in high school and I was uh, until my last year of college, I was uh, dependent on my parents' work visas. And so basically what this meant, this whole immigration thing, what it meant is that I didn't have a social security number, even though I was here legally, I couldn't get any of the scholarships that I qualified for. Like I wasn't legally allowed to receive that money. And it meant that my parents were on, or my family was on the hook for paying for most of college out of pocket, which is a lot of money as, as you know, we just said. And, you know, my parents both hold master's degrees from Columbia. I think they're, they're very savvy people, but they were brand new to the way the education system works here in the U.S. They didn't have a 529 plan. They'd never heard of that. And they didn't really have any college savings set up for me. In fact, we never really talked about like paying for school. It was, I think that as so many Latinx families, you know, you talk about studying and working hard and like, you know, just being told like, if you study and you get there, like 
we'll deal with the money later. And that's kind of what would happen with me. Yeah. And I think a big part too, you, you all were immigrants and for anybody coming to the States, you're starting over. So the first immediate priority is making sure your family has what they need, uh, starting to save. And so there's just so many things to navigate. And of course, yeah, maybe school in our community, education is is huge, right? (laughs) You need to be a doctor, you need to be an engineer. That's what I heard. (laughs) I didn't become any of those, but you hear a lot of that. So education is very important, but because you're, for those that started over coming to the United States and starting over is just, there's a lot of things to do before you can even get to saving for college. So it's, it's not easy whatsoever. Now, Carolina, how about you? Tell us a little bit about your upbringing, um, the experiences, what you saw in your family, uh, things that you learned that still impact you to this day. Yeah, thanks so much for asking. You know, I think the theme that Natalia shared around living in a system that is tough to navigate and frankly, really unknown in the US, the financial system. I think that's the piece that has stayed with me as an adult and particularly thinking about, you know, the credit system. So I remember growing up and my parents would tell me, you know, mija, compra solamente lo que puedes pagar. And that meant, you know, avoid credit, avoid credit cards. Um, and really only pay in cash because credit could get me into a lot of trouble. And so this was the messaging that was shared with me. And I, you know, as I became an adult, I thought about where did this messaging come from? And it came from, you know, seeing tias and tios who got access to credit cards early on when they arrived in the U.S. as immigrants, and you know, landing into a tremendous amount of debt. And you know, a lot of the debt that they accrued was due to not understanding um, or, you know, not having access to financial education on terms like APR, you know, what does it really mean? What's the true impact of making a minimum payment? And, you know, if you don't understand these things, like this could be a way you end up in these situations. Um, But, you know, of course, as a kid, you don't know these things. (laughs) You know, you grow up and, and this is what you know to be true. So it was interesting. I had these, you know, wildly two different approaches um, or saw these two different approaches to credit. And what I realized, too, it wasn't just credit, but other financial topics like, you know, savings or income. Uh, But sticking on this theme of credit, you know, fast forward and I'm, you know, 22 years old and I can hear my voice, you know, the same thing that they said, you know, growing up, you know, mija, so, you know, compra solamente lo que puedes pagar and avoiding credit. And then realizing that, unfortunately, it is the way of the U.S. system. And so I end up going through experiences like, you know, trying to get my first cell phone. I'm at AT&T and they're like, you don't have credit. Okay, you're going to have to put a massive deposit down. And at that point, you know, you're like fresh out of college. You're like, I don't have the money for this massive deposit. Uh, I'm like, dang, okay. I guess this like credit thing may be even more important than I thought. And then additionally, thinking about, you know, renting an apartment and realizing that you can't rent an apartment uh, because they require a credit check or you need maybe a co-signer. And so having to navigate all these things. And so that's kind of when I realized, okay, I, I really need my first credit card. 
And then, you know, a couple years later, I end up working at, you know, one of the largest credit card companies in the U.S. And I work on this really incredible product that's a free credit monitoring application. And I start to learn all these facts and figures and just like really learn the system and become an expert in the space. But what was really interesting was um, as I'm learning all these things, I'm having conversations with coworkers. And many of them are, you know, white friends and coworkers who share stories like, oh, yeah, when I, you know, was little, my parents added me as an authorized user. Um, You know, this is basically when someone adds you as an additional card holder on their credit card. And this was the way to kind of hack the system to grow credit so that when you became an adult, you would have that credit history. And I'm like, what? I'm like, I never had, never knew about this, never had this life hack. Um, And so just realizing, you know, this aspect of just kind of in our Latinx community, you know, we don't have these safety nets. We don't have some of these, um, this knowledge of the space. And so, you know, I continued kind of learning about credit, continued volunteering at a a local nonprofit, teaching financial literacy classes, and then, you know, meeting Natalia and getting to go to our Wharton MBA and meeting some other first generation students where this theme really resonated for so many people of, dang, it is really hard to navigate these systems that, you know, either weren't creative for you or just really uncharted territory. And so just kind of realizing the importance of financial education and then, you know, personally having to coach myself and reframe this lesson that I'd learned as a child and to say, hey, it's actually not about avoiding credit, but it's about using credit wisely and using that as your power to navigate and to build yourself up in the U.S. um, and work within the confines of the system. So a lot of uh, deep analysis and reflection that kind of got me to, you know, where I am today and how I view some of these financial topics. And I'm also curious, and I don't know if you would know, because you mentioned that your some some family members got into some credit card debt. And I'm curious to know if they had been, because of course, it's one thing to get a credit card. And if you don't have any credit history, you can get a credit card. You just have to get a different type of credit card mm-hmm. uh, that has a higher, it'll have a higher interest rate. So as you, you know, basically, so I'm wondering, had they already established credit or I'm curious as if a part of that credit card debt was a result too of having credit cards with extremely high interest? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think it is, it's um, a multifaceted, you know, answer. And I, I agree. I, from what I know, I do think that was an aspect of it. You know, this was like over a couple decades ago now. Um, the credit card system has, you know, changed over time, new legislation. But I think this was at a time where it was very high interest rates that then, you know, this uninformed decision making coupled with really high interest rates, which then led to these like really incredibly crippling debt challenges. So yeah, Jen, I think you're right. It That was a big aspect of it too. Yeah, and plus what my observations and people that come to me and, and talk to me and for example, they're at, at a bank and this, I've seen this happen even at credit unions, which we think are so consumer friendly in terms of advocating for the consumer mm-hmm. and wanting 
to do wanting to do right by the consumer uh, so i've seen i have heard stories of going to the bank getting you know applying for a credit card and on the bank the banker side uh is t telling the consumer yes you apply make the minimum payment which in true you just need to make the minimum payment but they're not educating them on what happens if you make the minimum payment and carry a balance, you know? Exactly. So I've seen that a lot because we just like, okay, we make the minimum payment. And if we don't understand how interest works and credit cards work, then we're just going to do with what we're guided by. Okay, I'll make the minimum payment and I'll be good. And then you find yourself later, oh my goodness, this continues to accumulate and this is, it's really hard to pay off, right? Yeah. So I've, I've seen that a lot and it irks me and I don't think on the banker's side they're doing it on purpose or there's no ill intention. They are telling tr the truth. You just need to make the minimum payment, but they lack, they don't fully communicate yes. what, that, what, really mean, what that really means. Exactly. So it's disappointing. Now, Natalia, you actually, you have both hinted at the system being hard to navigate and you had student loans. And so I'm curious to know, being uh, where we're recording this at a time where the student loan forgiveness announcement came out, what are your thoughts on the student loan forgiveness? And do you think it's a good start? Do you, and I'm just curious, your overall thoughts. Yeah, my, my personal thoughts on this certainly are, it's a step in the right direction in terms of acknowledging the problem that is student loan it's like student just affording education in today's like day and age education is has become unaffordable for so many people you know when you're talking about taking on hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt that's understandably like it's scary it's a scary number to look at and i my personal opinion is of, of this is i think obviously it it, it, it should be less to do with forgiveness than it is with education reform. And the fact that school, you know, the government should be working with schools and schools ultimately should be more affordable as opposed to forgiving debt, because I don't think that forgiving debt necessarily teaches the best lesson in terms of like how we deal with debt and like what, what, what should be the result there. But we know how a lot of people, I think it's over 45 million people take on federal loans in the country that's a lot of people taking on debt I and mean, we're talking about billions of dollars in student loans like this is a bigger issue than than just you know a ten thousand or twenty thousand dollar forgiveness program i'm glad that it's a conversation topic i'm glad it's something that the administration is doing something about and we know also that it will impact especially communities of color we know that will impact the Latinx community because more Latinos, more Latinas are being educated or going to higher education institutions. But as we've talked about on this podcast today, they are taking on more debt because just of the way the system works. And so it's great that they're able, like these communities are able to benefit from the program. But ultimately, I think that the, the answer is not forgiveness. It needs to be like just larger scale education reform. And Carolina, you've had a different experience. Um, so I want to know, based on your experience with student loans, I believe you got a scholarship. So you both, by the way, went to Harvard and also the Wharton School of Business. But anyways, uh, I'm, I have a question to ask about that in a little bit. But 
So what, what are your thoughts on the student loan forgiveness? I think one of the interesting things that Natalia just mentioned is, I think while headed in the right direction and creating the right conversations, it doesn't address like the key problem that we see in, in the U.S. Additionally, um, one of the things that I think is so challenging, particularly for our community, the Latinx community, is the fact that, you know, there's no, you know, we have parents who grew up in other countries, and my parents are, you know, so smart, so smart. So it's not a thing of intelligence. It's a thing of like, holy crap, like I'm dropped into a totally new system. You know, my parents always, particularly my mom, was so passionate of encouraging us to be the best students we possibly could, and and that this was our way forward. Um, and I'm sure Natalia's parents were exactly the same way. I think that's why we are so thankful to end up at the schools that we got to go to. And I think one of the big blessings that did occur in my journey, which is a little different than Natalia's journey, is that I was able to get some scholarships. So uh, because of my situation was different than Natalia's, I got need-based scholarship. I grew up from a very humble background. I mean, my dad was a farm worker in California. That's how we got our start in the U.S. And, you know, there was no way I was ever going to be able to afford Harvard. Uh, But luckily, due to their very generous financial need-based stances, I was able to get a scholarship. And uh, additionally, I was able to you know, apply to some other private scholarships as well to basically be able to make this happen for me. And I think something that is really interesting as part of my journey is actually, you know, I grew up in California. In California, we love our UC system. We love our um, California State University system and and they're fantastic schools. But what ended up happening was that, you know, it was going to be more expensive for me to go to UC Berkeley than it actually was going to be for me to go to Harvard because a lot of these private universities have more financial aid to give out. And so I think one of the things that, you know, I think a lot about in our community is, gosh, like I really want more people to know that that's a fact that exists, that there are other opportunities, that there are, you know, I think it's like billions of dollars that go unclaimed either via the FAFSA system or via private scholarships that, you know, our communities are not applying to, not because they don't want to, not because they're not intelligent, but just, you know, a lack of awareness. I was talking to a person who uses Denary, our our product, and one of the things that he shared with me was he grew up in Southern California, and I said, you know, how did you end up going off to college? What was kind of that journey for you? And he said that a group of his high school friends got together in a room the night before FAFSA was due, and they basically (laughs) crowdsourced, what the heck do all these terms mean? How do I meet the deadline so that, you know, I can get some funding towards college? And that story has just stuck with me so much because I'm like, dang, like, I really wish we could have this information like up front, have this education up front because, you know, we may be led in much different outcomes. A long-winded way of saying that I think there are additionally, you know, bigger problems that we're not addressing and then potentially maybe starting earlier in terms of some of the education on how to find alternative sources outside of loans if you are in positions where that is an opportunity for you. Absolutely. And I recently found out about the student uh, because he goes to school with my son. And uh, so he was they go to a private school and like you said they private schools do provide more funding uh, because they have it but the student of course they give you 
that uh, this is how much we have to provide you, right? But that can change year to year based on your uh, the, the income of the family and everything. So apparently that changed and that was a drastic change for him. And this student, this is a junior this year, and he ended up going to, um, what are these websites where you can raise money? To raise the money for his college. Because he was already so invested in that university and everything that he has done, the leadership opportunities and all that, he took it. And it's incredible to support because he needed, basically needs like 30K, which is a lot for a 20, probably, what are you when you're a junior? Maybe 21, 22 years old. That's a lot of burden that his parents couldn't take on. And it shows a lot in his character that he almost has that fundraised like over 21k that this young man has been able to raise as a result of his leadership as a result of the things that giving back to his community and how well how much he's loved but just it just broke my heart to to see that because that's a lot of money just to a, a heavy burden especially when you had counted on that but again it changes year to year now um you mentioned Dinetti. And you, I know I've mentioned you both went to Harvard. I'm curious to know, where did you all meet? Was it Harvard or was it Wharton? It was actually Wharton. I think we had a lot of mutual friends in undergrad, but our paths never, never crossed. And it wasn't until, um, it wasn't until our first year at Wharton that we connected. Very interesting, because I was curious. I'm like, hmm, maybe they knew each other from their Harvard days. <laughs> now, let's talk about Dinetti, because this is something you both co-founded. Tell us about, one, how the name came up, and what led you to creating it, and what your the focus is. What is your vision for this platform? So the name came from, uh, we were both ideating together on we wanted something short and memorable and particularly we really wanted a dot-com site (laughs) so (laughs) it is competitive out there to get a dot-com site pretty much any permutation of a word you can think of has been claimed by dot-com and so we wanted something that paid homage to you know me being mexicana and natalia being colombiana and some sort of sense of that like a little bit of spanish but then coupled with the fact that while we are both immigrants we basically grew up in the states and Mm -hmm. so for all intents and purposes we're kind of more second generation and so this hybrid of english and spanish and so um we came up with this hybrid word of based off dinero dinari but it's spelled d-y-n-e-r-i because you know you have to be a cool fintech company and add some (laughs) crazy vowels in there Uh, so that's where the name came from and in terms of what we are excited to do so and what our vision is we want to provide free financial literacy content and recommendations on reputable products and services that exist um, today in the U.S. and serve uh, this historically underserved Latinx population. And I think one thing that people fail or, you know, non-Latinx 
individuals fail to recognize is, you know, we're growing massively. You know, by 2060, census data shows one out of three Americans will be Latinx. Um, you know, our spending power is incredible, and yet we're still making 20 cents of the dollar for our non-Latinx counterparts. And so from our personal experience, our volunteer service, our, um, you know, Tavia is very humble, but she is a finance major from, you know, the Wharton MBA. Like, she really knows her stuff. And, you know, from my experience working in the financial industry, you know, we both were like, we have a lot of expertise to share and we also have you know our own personal journeys that really resonate with this end user so um we wanted to come together and build you know this culturally focused platform again that connects you know our consumers to the education and ultimately helps hispanics thrive financially um or Latinx individuals thrive financially. So that is our goal, our mission, what fuels us to create Denari and to keep moving forward every day. And I noticed you said Denari and I said Dineri. <laughs> like a I, proud Latin. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> oh, that's, that's funny. And I'm curious too, to, to just close this up. If you, because you both talked a lot about, it's just hard to navigate the finances here in the U.S., especially if you don't know it, especially if you're an immigrant, uh, especially if you're new. So if you had a magic wand, and what would you do to change or make it easier for our community to navigate this financial system we live in? You can both answer or one of you. So it seems to me that one of the key things that was really helpful in both of our journeys was the helpfulness of education. And also, I think what we failed to mention is education that is more easily consumable. Like finances can be a really complicated topic, but there are ways to understand or explain financial concepts in a way that makes sense to our community. I'll give you a perfect example. So I mentioned in my personal story and my money journey that I'd seen a lot of my, um, you know, white coworkers talk about how they were added to their parents' credit cards as authorized users. You know, imagine a world where we could provide education in a way that made sense culturally for our Latinx community. For example, what if it, you know, you, you flip the script actually, you know, you as the child are adding your parent as an authorized user onto a credit card. Like imagine, you know, obviously that is specific to every single person's journey. Maybe not everybody is able to do that. But if you're in a place where, you know, you have relatively, you know, a healthy knowledge of navigating the system and, you know, you're kind of moving yourself forward. Um, as I've talked to a lot of folks that are you know, you're, you're beginning your, maybe your midlife in your business career or beginning your business career. And you can finally kind of stop being worried so much about money because you're getting a salary and you can think about others basically. So if you're in that stage, you know, what if there was information that could help you kind of progress that forward? And so I think like, yeah, we just need to talk more in the context of like what, our cultural norms are valuing family, you know, being respecting your elders, like a lot of these themes that are really important for us. You know, I would never put my parents in a retirement home. Like that is not financial advice I will ever seek. It will be <laughs> how do I how do I make sure I take care of them along with my siblings in a way that is kind of outside of a retirement home. It's like those types of topics that I wish we could have more information that makes sense for our community. I love that. Any thoughts, Natalia? 
What I really like about your question is you're asking about the system and like how the system can change. And I think there's, there's, I have two thoughts on this. First, we know that communities of color, we know the Latinx community is just, is starting out quite literally many steps behind the white community. So, you know, imagine, you know, kids are, somebody's starting a race and, you know, everyone, when you start a race, you start at the starting line. Well, communities of, of color are starting several feet behind the starting line. So they're already at a disadvantage because of just who they are and because of their, gener you know, the generational wealth gaps and all of the uh, history of discriminatory practices. And all of that goes back to the system and how the system needs to change and be more inclusive and provide the same level of education and provide the same level of opportunities to everyone that are afforded to that have historically been afforded to you know the white americans who have been you know born and raised and they've been here for many generations and part of the part of the way that the system is also unaware and, and not inclusive is kind of my second point which is the culturally savvy like the cultural aspect and that is a lot of what carolina was talking about it's the fact that even in a lot of latinx households People don't talk about money. Like it's it's not cool to talk about money. It's not cool to talk about money at the dinner table. It's not cool to talk about politics and all these other other issues because it's taboo. Like you don't talk about it with your friends and family how much money you make or how much money you have saved. And I know that when I hang out with all my my white friends and I go to their families for Thanksgiving, like that is that is a perfectly normal conversation topic, like how much money you're making, how much you got in a bonus, how much you're investing, all of these things like are very normal. And I think that that's also part of just how they've been able to thrive in the system. It's a very different mindset of being proactive about their money. One, yes, the system has benefited them, but culturally, they've also been able to take advantage of the way the system has helped them. And all that to say, you know, it's it's hard to change a system. It's hard to change. That change has to come from people with a lot of power. But what we can do is focus on kind of what's in our control and in our hands. And ultimately, financial literacy is a superpower. And that's something that nobody can take away from you. And it's never too late and you're never too old to start. You can start when you're kids, like so many people do, but you can also do it when you're years away from retirement and you're thinking about that. It's never too late to do it. And it's never too late to take control of your finances and, you know, learn about how it all works. So I think that even though we can't change the system, we can change kind of what's in our control and, and how we react to the, you know, the cards that ultimately we've been dealt. Absolutely. I agree. And I think over time when, because I am a big proponent of controlling what you can control, <laughs> focus on that. Uh, and over time from doing that, if there is that, if that, if we can, we're able to create that domino effect, then that can lead eventually over time and, uh, to a change in the system, right? So that could eventually. So I really appreciate both of you, everything that you're doing. I'm excited about Denary and everything that's to come. Uh, so thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for teaming up together. What a powerhouse, uh, the two of you. Uh, and uh, thank you for much, so much for all the wisdom that you shared with us today. Thank you so much, Jen. And thank you particularly for just um, helping Latina women uh, thrive. And I really appreciate how, you know, as 
you're such a powerhouse in the industry and you know we're starting our journey that you have also brought us up along with your path so a huge thank you to you for hosting us today oh you're too much thank you (laughs) so much yes thank you for having us and thank you to your listeners i really enjoyed chatting with natalia and carolina and i love their perspectives on what they would do if they had that magic wand to change things, to make it easier for our community in terms of finances. Carolina talked about how financial education needs to be more easily consumable for our community. And Natalia shared how we may not be able to change the system, but we can change what is in our control and how we react to the cards we have been given. Those were some powerful nuggets I personally took away from this conversation. If you want to learn more about Denari, you can go to dyneri.com. That is dyneri.com. And of course, like always, this will be linked up in today's show notes. There was just so much in today's conversation. As I mentioned, I really love their insight and I would love to know what would you add to this conversation? Share with us in our private community over at jenhemphill.com forward slash community. We would love to see you there. And this way we can connect beyond you listening to me here on the podcast because it's more fun that way to be able to just you and I chat in the community and for you to be able to network amongst other people that are in the same wavelength that are really wanting the same things as you. Again, you can join over at jenhemphill.com forward slash community. That is jenhemphill.com forward slash community. And that, like always, will be linked up in today's show notes. For the next two weeks, we will be having some replays as here at the Her Dinero Matters headquarters, we are going to be taking a small break to enjoy the holidays with our loved ones. And we hope that you also are going to be doing that as well. Buena pues, that is everything. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us today. Be sure to check out the show notes over at jenhemphill.com forward slash 333. That is jenhemphill.com forward slash 333. Remember that being the reina of your money starts now simply by claiming it. I believe in you and so should you. Nos hablaremos. Before we jump into today's content, keep your ears peeled for a unique reveal I'll be sharing midway through the show. It's something special just for you. El próximo jueves. Ciao.